Father God, we place ourselves before your throne where you are exalted. Lord, there is so much confusion around us. There is so much strife. There is so much division. We know what day is coming when peace shall rule. But until that day comes, we will live in this awkward, weird, difficult time. But Father, you have not left us without hope. We know that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Lord, we confess that today. We bow before you today that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we pray that you would burden our hearts this morning as we continue to worship you now through your written word, that you would challenge us, that you would burden us with the mission you've given to us so that the world may believe. And we pray it all in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You can take a seat. As you take a seat, find a Bible and open it up with me to the book of John, John's Gospel, John chapter 17. We'll spend a few minutes there this morning. I want to share a message with you that I have titled, That the World May Believe. That the world may believe from John chapter 17, and uh, we will hopefully see this morning how this gospel and the message of John 17 impacts how we live and how we seek to serve uh, Jesus Christ. You know, a lot has happened since uh, we last met in quote-unquote regular mode. I mean, the last time we gathered together like this, the, the phrase social distancing meant nothing except to us introverts. We were already good at social distancing. It, it's a phrase that didn't really mean a whole lot to us. Flattening the curve sounded more like a weight loss strategy than it did uh, a, a disease prevention strategy. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of things that are now different. I mean, you, before the last time we met together, you could walk down any aisle at Walmart and they not tell you you're going the wrong way. Amen? Yeah, but then you go and you see they've got direction. Oh, the first day, I, you know, if y'all know me, you know I go to Walmart just to test my sanctification. And uh, the first day I walked in and saw directional signs, I thought, this ain't going to work. <laughs> now, if you're a rule follower, you know, you go out of your way. But uh, if you can't go in the enter door, uh, much less, how are you going to go down the aisle? I mean, a lot of stuff has changed. And the, the, the past three months has really been a good reflection of life. Man, things happen that you don't anticipate. Life throws you curveballs, and life ends up taking turns that you didn't think that they would take. You have to adapt. Sometimes you have to learn on the fly. You learn that one of the unspoken beatitudes is, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. And we've been challenged these last several weeks. We've witnessed massive shifts in how life 
is lived and will continue to watch history unfold before our very eyes. We will deal with the results and the impact of COVID-19 for weeks and months and years to come. In fact, there are probably some things that will never be like they were prior to that. And even added on to that over these last two, three, four weeks, we have seen tragedy occur over and over again. Our hearts have been broken repeatedly as we have watched, as we've been reminded that the ideas of racism and bigotry are still very much in existence. There's still sins that need to be stamped out by the grace and the redemption of God. And in the midst of all of this confusion, in the midst of all of this fear, in the midst of all of this pain, in the midst of all of this uncertainty in our culture, we must remember the source of our hope. We must continue with the mission of God. In the words of the late Andre Crouch, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Politics are not our answers. Democrats and Republicans and independents and green parties and Smurfs and purple people eaters are not our answer. Our answer relies in the life and the shed blood, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the change he brings to a person's heart. And if we really believe that, the fact that we, will, the fact that we do believe it will change how we live our lives. It will impact our lives. We will invest our lives in sharing this great answer with the world today. We're going to see that today from John chapter 17. I pray that God will use this text to remind us of how important it is on this Welcome Back Sunday that we be the church as we follow Jesus and engage our culture. John chapter 17 offers us a prayer that Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed this prayer right before his death. And when he prays this prayer, there are really three things he's praying for. He's praying for himself, as we'll see in a second as we read the text. He's praying for the apostles who believe his message, and then they will preach it after he's gone. And he also prays for those who will believe the apostles' message, and that includes you and I. So in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. This is not some abstract prayer that he's just pulling people on the side of the street. This is me and you. We are the objects of his prayer. Let's read that prayer together. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, here's his prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. There's Jesus praying for himself. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, so he's praying for the apostles, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one." While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that be Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not... uh, Excuse me, they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now he's praying for us. That we, that they, that's us, that we may be all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you catch twice there, Jesus said, I pray, talking about you and I, that we may be one just as he and the Father one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, the unity Jesus prays for us is not so much an activity we engage in as it is an identity we receive. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit of God. God lives within us. Jesus is within us through his Holy Spirit. And we then live at peace and unity with one another. And in so doing, we testify to the world that God has sent his Son to love them and to die for them. I want you to notice with me this morning very briefly three commitments to unity. 
three things that we must be committed to if we are going to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, so that the world may believe that God has sent Jesus to love and to save anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith. Three things we must be committed to. Number one is this, we are to seek unity in our commitment to God's truth. We are to seek unity in our commitment to God's truth. If you look back in that prayer that Jesus prayed in verse 3, when he begins this prayer, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, I want them to know eternal life. Now, when we think about eternal life, we think about quantity. We think about the length of eternity, that it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's certainly true, but that's not all eternal life is. Eternity is not just the quantity. Eternity speaks to the quality of life. When Jesus says, I've come that they may have eternal life, they may know that they have eternal life, he's talking, not that we would know we're going to live forever, but there's a quality of our lives that is to be lived in surrender and unity to the truth of God. He says, I want them to know, to know that they know you. Now, that, that's more than mental assent. Jesus is not talking here about intellectual knowledge, knowing facts about God. He is referring to a personal experiential knowledge of who God is. The fact that God is, as Jesus says he is, the fact that God is the only true God, that means that God gets to dictate truth. I don't have a right to tell God he's right. I don't have a, a right to say, well, God, I don't think you're, I think you're wrong in that respect. God is the God of truth. And if that is true, which we believe it to be, you and I must seek unity in our commitment to God's truth. Our unity is to be centered on the truth of God, not our version of God's truth. Now, Jesus had some run-ins with people while he walked the face of the earth, a couple of groups in particular. And even though it's been a, a couple of years, a couple of days since Jesus had interactions with them, they're still in existence today. You know, Jesus came across a group of folks called Sadducees. They may have been pre-runners to the Baptists because they always had frowns on their faces from what we can tell. They were sad, you see. It's how we remember them. A little free seminary education for you this morning, Curtis and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, the Sadducees that Jesus had a problem with, they were what we could call Bible minus people. They believed some of the Bible, they loved the first five books, but once you got out the first five books of the Bible, they didn't really believe anything else after that. They didn't believe what Jesus taught, so they, they believed some of what he said, but they weren't committed to all the truth of God. You know what? We still see that today. We still see that if we will be honest with ourselves, we look with ourselves, there is a little bit of us that's a Sadducee. We don't mind being faithful to the parts of God's truth that are easy. We don't mind being faithful to the parts of God's truth that we like, 
But when the Word of God calls us to love our enemies, are we seeking unity in that? When God calls us to love one another, whether that other is like us or not, are, are we really seeking unity in our commitment to that? We can still be like the, the Sadducees. We can still believe part of it and say we believe all of it, but not live out the full commands of God. On the other end of the pendulum, you had a group called the Pharisees. Jesus really didn't like them. He called them hypocrites, a brood of vipers. The Sadducees were people, were Bible minus people. The Pharisees, and the reason that I know a lot about the Pharisees is I used to be one. In fact, I can still be one at times, but I used to really be one really, really bad. Pharisees were Bible plus people. Pharisees that Jesus encountered, Pharisees that still exist today, they don't mind the teachings of God. It's just that they like to add to it. But what they add to it are rules and regulation and man-made traditions that are outside the scope of God's kingdom agenda. And then when someone else doesn't measure up to that standard, that extra biblical standard, when someone doesn't do things the way you think they ought to do it, it's not unity that occurs, it's disunity. And so today we still see that very much alive and well within our culture, even within our own hearts and spirits, we have a little Sadducee in us, we have a little Pharisee in us. My desire is to equip you, my desire is to equip us as a church to avoid being people, to avoid being a church that stops short of the Bible like the Sadducees, and to equip us to avoid being people or a church that, that, that goes beyond the Bible like the Pharisees. I I want to call you this morning as a follower of Jesus and as a church today to recommit yourself to unity regarding God's truth. Let us be people who read the Word of God as God has written it and follow God's truth, not as we wish it was, but to follow God's truth as He has revealed it. This helps us answer the prayer of Jesus to be people who are committed in our unity to God's truth. But secondly, it's not just the truth of God that Jesus mentions. We are to seek unity in our commitment to God's mission, to the mission of God. Jesus mentions this about midway through his prayer in verse 15. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They, his apostles, by extension, if you extrapolate that as followers today, we are not of the world, just as Jesus was not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth, as you, look at verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Our God is a missionary God. He entered human history as a missionary. He came in human form. Jesus was human in every way except one significant way. He was without sin. When he was on this earth, he breathed our air. He spoke the language of the people he was around. He lived in our cultural context. He pursued real relationships with real people who were far away 
away from God. And he did all of that for the express purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus made it clear in this passage, and he makes it abundantly clear later in John's gospel as well. He, he made it clear that his desire is for his followers to live as sent people into this world in the same way and for the same purpose that he was sent into this world. In fact, Jesus says this a little bit later in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, sent me into this world for redemption, even so I am sending you. Let me ask you something. What you think about something? Why doesn't God just beam us up to heaven when we get saved? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if getting to heaven is the ultimate goal, then why doesn't God just say, all right, you put your faith in me, and up we go. Beam me up, Savior. Why doesn't God do that? Maybe it's because the purpose of our lives is not just to get us to heaven. Maybe the purpose of our lives is to make his glory known. Maybe the purpose of our lives is to be engaged in the mission of God so that his name and his fame spread throughout all this world so that people who were headed to hell, are headed to hell, just like we were headed to hell, can find eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus established is about one mission, and it's a mission that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live out in unity. It is a rescue mission. It's a mission where Jesus is coming to passionately pursue people who were alienated from God in order to save them and to transform them into people who worship God through Jesus Christ. We may have different roles to play in the mission of God, but this is his mission, not ours. And the mission belongs to Jesus. We are to occupy our rightful place in it. We have no ministry apart from the mission of Jesus. If we're going to live out the unity that Jesus wants us to have, then all of us, without exception, must embrace our role as missionaries on mission with Jesus in this world, in our homes in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. We are to seek unity in our commitment to God's mission. And then number three, we are to seek unity in our commitment to each other. We're to seek unity in our commitment to each other. When Jesus says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you've sent me. I've made known to them your name and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus says, Father, there's never been a time when you haven't loved me and I want the people who follow me to love each other just as you, Father, have loved me. There is, and this is something, I, I didn't plan this to be preached during this, this, this time. This was placed on my heart weeks and weeks and weeks ago about whenever we got together, we'd be here in John chapter 17. And I want you to hear me very closely. 
There is a relational unity that exists between the Father and the Son. And the only time that unity was disrupted was briefly on the cross when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, Jesus was bearing upon himself the sins of the world, and that is what sin does. Sin separates us from God first, and then sin separates us from each other. The reason we see the injustice in our culture is very simple. It's because of sin. The reason that we see things like racism and bigotry and and, and social injustice is because of sin. The reason that you struggle to become like Jesus is because of sin. Everywhere we turn, we are infected and affected because of sin. And that relationship with the Father was disrupted on the cross. That's just what sin does. It disrupts relationships. But watch this. It was on the same cross after Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was on that same cross that he later cried out, it is is finished. He finished the work of paying for our sins so that we could then be reconciled to God. And once we're reconciled to God, we can be reconciled to each other. Our problem is not political. There are political problems. Just because you can tweet doesn't mean you should. And that includes pastors, politicians, and presidents. All right? We've got political issues, but that's not the, re- the reason we have political issues because of sin. And we can't fix somebody else until we allow God to fix us. Are we willing to say, God, fix me? So that we can live in unity and our love for each other. One word that certainly describes our culture and our context, and it has forever, is division. And we got a choice. We can be part of the solution, or we can be part of the problem. Let me tell you, let me, let me frame for you what Jesus said to us about his desire. He said in John chapter 13 and verse 35, by all this All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will they believe that God has sent Jesus when we are one? How can we be one when you love one another? Some of us need to stop sowing seeds of dissension. We need to get off Facebook and put ourselves before God's face in his book and learn what it means to love one another. Even when that other person looks different than us, even when the other person votes differently than we do, even when the other person acts differently than we do, Jesus did not give us a qualifier to love one another if you like them. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Why is it so important? Why would I say something like that, knowing I'll get a few emails about that this week? Because of what he says in verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
as followers of Jesus when we are unified in our commitment to God's truth, to God's mission, and to God's people. The world, those without Jesus Christ, take notice. May I submit to you this morning, I don't know the specific solution for every problem, but I know this much. There is a missionary God, and his name is Jesus. And he was sent into this world on a rescue mission, and he has rescued people. And those that he has rescued, he loves really well. And when those whom he loves love one another, they communicate to a watching world in word and deed that Jesus has indeed come into this world to save sinners. But before you can have unity in your commitment to God's truth, before you can have unity in your commitment to God's mission, before you can be reconciled to someone else, you first have to be reconciled to God. You have to experience unity in your relationship with God. And the good news is Jesus has done all the work to make that possible. This morning I want to ask you very simply, has there been a time in your life when you realized that your relationship with God was fractured, when you realized that you did not have a relationship with God, you might have known some facts about God, but has there been a time in your life when you cried out to God and you simply asked Him to save you, confessing your sins, repenting of them, you asked Him to save you? If there's never been a time in your life to do that, what better time than today? that to cry out to God right where you are at the pew in front of you, to pray to God even in these moments to admit to him that you're a sinner, to confess those sins to God and to ask Jesus to save you. The Bible says all who come unto him, he does not cast them out. If you come to him today with a heart of repentance and confession, he'll give you the grace of salvation. And once you're reconciled to him, that is a game changer. It changes everything else about your life. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching us online and you realize there are some other decisions you need to make. Here's how we're going. We're going to postpone our formal invitation for a couple of more weeks just to let a couple more things play out. So here's how we're going to end our time today. And if you're here on the pew in front of you, there's a yellow card that says something about the next step. If there is a decision you need to make, here's what we're going to ask you to do. Now, if you're watching online or if you're even here online, you can also pull up right now on your phone, fbcmilton.org slash decision. You can go to our website and click my decision, the, the link there. If there's a decision you need to make, we want you to indicate that on that, on that card. If God has convicted you this morning, you realize your need to have a relationship with Him, then we want you to check that. If there's another need, a step you need to take for baptism, whatever the step is, you let us know what that next step is because we don't want you to take that next step alone. In just a second, we're going to be dismissed from here. And after we're dismissed from here, I'm going to go right outside these doors. And when you walk out these doors, look over to the right, there's going to be a desk, a, a booth that's set up. It has the words, the next step on it. That's where I'm going to be. 
If you need to make a decision, if you have made a decision, bring that yellow card and give it to me. If, if you're thinking, I don't want to get close to the sweaty preacher just yet, then as you leave here today, drop that My Next Step card in the box that's left. As you leave out today, there'll be boxes here, here, and here. As you exit, you can put your offering in there if you brought your offering today. You can put your, your uh, Connect With Us card. If you're a guest, you can connect with us. You can put that in there, or you can put your, your Next Step card in there. Either way, just drop in that box or bring it to me. We want you to help you take the next step. We want to provide you with resources as you seek to take the next step. Don't leave here today without your relationship with God being solid. In just a second, Dr. Bruce Young's going to come and he's going to lead us in prayer as we close our service today. And after he does that, we'll be dismissed. And again, if you're joining us online, we'd love for you to, to join us again. And we look forward to gathering back here next Sunday. But between now and then, as God moves and works in your heart, know that we want to help you be who God's called you to be. God bless you, Dr. Young.